Man, I'm excited as, as we're getting settled in. It has fallen on me through chance and circumstance because when an email went out saying, hey, we're looking for people to teach class, would you be willing to have learned to respond yes as soon as possible because you get to choose the topics you want, unlike some people who wait till the end, not specifically calling out anybody, but... Uh, get stuck with uh, now they're all good topics but there's there's a difference in being able to to jump right in and so uh when john cackle sent out an email hey we're putting a study together yes i'd like to boom 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 select your topics let's let's go and he's like wow that was fast remember that <laughs> i was actually uh driving on the road back from texas and my wife was my wife was driving so and i was in the pastor's yes boom boom so uh, that was exciting. The official title is The Red Letter Doctrine of Christ. Some, <laughs> some of you may have a red letter uh, edition. Do you guys have a red letter, letter Bible in your possession? Yeah. Um, the red letters represent portions of the text that, that we believe were the actual words of Jesus, or in some cases that the editors believed was part of what Jesus was saying. There are a couple of places where, yes, this is the words of Jesus, and I might think it stops a sentence or two earlier that I, but, but it's okay. You know, these are all for intents and purposes, the best thing we have to understand what the the words of our Lord, uh, of our Lord were. Um, uh, my go-to Bible is not a red letter edition. It's it's printed in in all black ink, and so I didn't think it was appropriate to use that Bible for this study. Uh, that's the uh, English Standard Version, the ESV, pretty good translation. I think it's. Uh, making uh, probably displacing the NIV, which th that's a good thing in my opinion. Um, uh, before I got the ESV, around the same time, the Holman Christian Standard Bible came out. Has anybody ever heard of the HCSB? I believe Lifeway commissioned a new translation, and they got the Holman Publishing House, which was the first publishing house in the Americas to publish the Bible. And so they went back to the very first publisher of the Bible, I think it was in Canada, but let's call it in the Americas, say let's commission you guys, both the ESV and the, <laughs> the HCSB, very solid with their scholarship. It ranks up there along with the New American Standard Bible in terms of the level of people who are involved translating it. Now honestly, when I'm studying for class, I use the NASB. Uh, I, and I read John 17 in the NASB and it was just too hard. This prayer of John, uh, that we're going to look at today of Jesus is so deep, so rich, and in the NDSB so difficult. I'm like, There's, this is a six-week study. This is not a 30-, 45-minute class. And I was just dumbfounded how to do this. But fortunately, my NASB was all black also. So my red-letter edition is the Holman Christian Standard Bible. So on the screen today comes out of that. This is the appropriate accrediting thing just to cover all the bases, all right? Um, Lord willing, over the next 12 weeks or so, this class is going to look at several of the teachings of Jesus, some of the things that Jesus did, a lot of things that he said, and the goal is to say, let's look at these, these words and let's look at these actions and ask, can we apply them today? How can we use them today? Let's look at the things that Jesus said and Jesus did and let's internalize them. And, and I've got a friend who several years ago, she said, I, I just can't believe in the Bible. These things were written thousands of years ago. It just doesn't apply anymore. 
And I also have a friend who became a Christian because in Proverbs it says, he who hates wisdom is stupid. Well, how did that lead you to conversion? He said, because the word stupid is in the Bible. That means it's not an archaic book. And with this friend of mine, I said, you think things like don't be killing people is not worth listening to? You know, you think don't be... believe that the words of Jesus, the words of our Bible are applicable today. And some of these topics are going to be really interesting. And I'm excited to be part of this series, not just as a teacher, but I'm looking forward to sitting on the other side of the podium to, uh, to see what we all have to bring to this. There's a tradition that I'm trying to incorporate in my classes that, that we understand that reading the Bible, studying the Bible is a good thing. It is a good work, if you will. Okay. In a lot of Jewish circles, they believe that if you can do something good, why not do two things good? And so you'll see people with their desks with a little jar on it. When they sit down to study the Bible, they'll put some coins in the jar. And when the jar is full, they'll give that jar to someone who is in need by doubling up on the good deed. Why keep the good things for ourselves? And when I read the Scripture, it's very difficult for me to share it with people. But if I'm doing something good, why shouldn't I? I'm supposed to share this with everything. So for us, if we're willing to think about someone who's not in this room, maybe not even in this building, someone who comes to mind that you would like to dedicate this class to, and your task will be today or Monday or Tuesday, contact that person and say, let me share with you the things we talked about in Bible class. I don't know why, but your, my, your name came to my mind. We're starting this new series. Just let me just share with you. Let me dedicate this hour of study to something beyond ourselves. If you can think of someone... Uh, it can be a, a person who's a member of the church, maybe someone who doesn't have the ability to get out right now. You can call them and say, let me tell you about Bible class. Let me tell you what we talked about. When you have that person in mind, uh, over the next day or two, your job is to get with them because we are supposed to bless other people with what we've been blessed with. We receive grace so that we can be a grace to other people. And hopefully, you'll be able to find something in class today that you can share with them. Uh, Everyone have someone in mind who's willing to do this? We're not going to do anything crazy today, all right? So it's going to be all right. So what we're going to do, once we have this person in mind, we're going to sing a song together. We're going to have a prayer. And then we'll open up to John chapter 17, all right? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Almighty God, we come to you this morning as we open up our scriptures to interact with your word to to see the truth and the meaning that you have preserved for us for thousands of years father with the people that hit here of dedicating this time of study to a friend a co-worker an acquaintance so so that they can see your glory as well 
And then the people that we're going to share these words with, they may share the words, and it can send ripples throughout our communities and bring some, some modicum of light into this world. Thank you, Father, so much for preserving your word for us. It's through your Son we pray. Amen. Open your Bibles to John chapter 17. This is a message that may be topped with a heading. In my ESV, it's topped with a heading, The High Priestly Prayer. In my CSB, it has three different headings. It says Jesus prays for himself or something like that. Most of us, if you've got your Bible broken down into heading sections, are going to have three. Some of us will just have one. Most of the commentators break it down into three sections. It's logical. That's kind of how we're going to look at this. We're going to spend more time in the beginning, the first five verses. We're going to blow through verses 6 through 19. Stopping just once or twice. They're going to pick up the last five or six verses. Then we're going to come back to the first two verses. We're going to tie it all together, put a ribbon on it, so you can take it to the person that you've dedicated this to. Um, you're going to see a lot of circular language. Circularity, I wrote. I don't know if that's the word or not. Circuituity. There's a lot of going rounded circles. And we're going to see some big ideas. Um, is it... Jesus spoke these things. He looked up to heaven and He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son so the Son may glorify You. For You gave Him authority to all You have given Him. Is it okay to pray with your eyes open? I was at a church in Dallas and it was in the the, the the people met in a car dealership, an old car dealership. And the car dealerships, if you know, they're, they're long buildings, but narrow buildings. And the way they worked it out, the, like our building is like, we've sidewaysed our, our auditorium, right? But they, they're like in the front and the middle. And if you're like on the edges, you don't really see what's going on. And so they've got camera crews that on the projection screens, you can see the person delivering the message. Someone got there, they're... They were giving a prayer, and I thought to myself, they should turn the cameras off during the prayer because we're supposed to do this, right? Now, we all know there are a lot of different prayer postures, falling face down. In this case, Jesus is looking his eyes up. I don't really know if I see this, but this is appropriate. This is coming before the, the Almighty in, in, a, in a penitent posture. You know, it, it's okay. But Jesus looks up to heaven and he prays this prayer. Um, uh, uh, and there, this is a transition in the book of John. John has spent 16 chapters getting to this prayer. And after coming out of this prayer, we're going to have about four and a half pages in my to, to knock out the, the, the trials of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, his appearance to his disciples, which I think is the most important thing of it all. And yet, in my Bible, John spends 20 pages getting to this page, and then four or four and a half pages to wrap it up. Uh, something weird is going on. He says, the hour has come. What hour is he looking at? He knows. 
We're on the way to the cross right now, right? Um, he says, glorify your son. What does, give me another word for glorify. Oh, man, audience participation. Give me another word for glorify. How would you explain that? Give me a synonym, right? Someone give me one. Yeah, to, to, in this case, uh, attention, admiration for the Son so that the Son may draw attention and admiration to the Father, right? Good. Attention, admiration. What else? Give me another word. Yeah, to, to elevate something, to, to raise them up, to put them on a pedestal, right? Give me another word. Praise, yes. Show me, show me to show you, yeah, to exalt, all right, to, to, to elevate, to praise, to give honor to, to lift up, right? How many of us remember what Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 32? If I be lifted up, talking about the banner of his death, all men will be drawn to me. Father, lift me up so that I may lift you up. And that's the point where I just had to stop. How am I going to get through 20-something verses when verse 2? I mean, that's... How long could we spend just on that, right? Lift me up, the manner of my death, to draw people to you, Father, right? Uh, the word, the original word in the in the original language is this word doxa. Everyone say doxa. That's the doxology that we just sang. All right, praise God. We just sang that. That's what's going on here. Um, praise God from whom all blessings flow so that he may give eternal life to all who follow you, right? And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, the one you've sent, Jesus Christ, I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. If I were to ask you what's eternal life, what are some things we would throw out? How would we answer that? What is eternal life? Hmm? No death, okay. Living forever in the presence of God in the, the crystal sea, right? All those things we know about. What's Jesus tie into eternal life? Knowing you. In today's Christian environment, we try so hard to elicit some emotional reaction to a message. Some tear-jerking story that tugs at our heart, that wants us to, to approach the front and repent of something we don't even know we're repenting of, but we have this emotional need to express something because our emotions have been triggered. And Jesus says eternal life is probably more closely related to knowledge than to feeling. Because sometimes we don't feel saved. Is it possible to know that we're saved, even if we don't feel like it. Good friend of mine, Jay, older gentleman, he's one of my uh, unknown mentors. He doesn't know that I 
I, I watch him and learn from him. Brother Jay, how are you doing today? Oh, man, I hope I make it. I hope I've done enough. First John chapter 5, verse 13 says, I've written these things to those who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. Not hope, not guess, not pray, not wonder, but you may know it. Sometimes I don't feel it, and I know there's nothing that I've done, and I know who did it for me, but I can have confidence, right? I can have confidence in that. In verse 5, glorify me with your presence with you before the world existed. How much do we know about before the world existed? Not a whole lot. I grew up in Louisiana. We used to sing this song, Before the worlds were created, there was Christ with God. Do y'all know this song? He has forever existed, and himself is God. He made all things great creator by his... And I don't know the words after that. But it was one of those campfire songs that was just rich and full of theology. Uh, his name is Jesus, Jesus. Uh, and that John's Gospel even begins with, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? We have, we have snippets of what was going on. Philippians, Philippians 2 says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who already existed in the form of God, but he didn't consider that something to be grasped. And he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, born in the likeness of men, humble, obedient to death on a cross. And for this reason, Philippians says, God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name which is above his name, so the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. This is the transition point right here in John 17 where all of this stuff is, is going on. All this stuff is happening. Before the worlds were created, there was Christ. And if you've got section headings in your Bible, your next section heading is going to say something like, Jesus prays for the disciples. I'm calling it Jesus prays for uh, the Father and the disciples. It's, I didn't have enough room to put in really the Father, the Son, and the Apostles. I think it's more those who would be tasked with formalizing the Word. But if you want to say the 120 who are in the upper room, there's room for all of that, okay? But there's some language in here. Um, I, I see Jesus praying for the relationship between the Father and those who are going to be charged with taking I read this section. I'm making a couple of stops. I'll ask you to summarize this for me, okay? So you may want to just read this once or twice on your own, but audience participants are coming again. I have revealed your name to the men you gave me from the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and, I, and they have kept your word. Now they know that all things you have given to me are from you, because the words There's thing, now they know. Did for 17 chapters and verses, did they not? I mean, if you read the Gospels, you realize that for the first, in this case, 16 chapters, they're 
seeing and starting to understand and they're kind of on the on the verge of, of comprehension but there's an interesting verse uh john 16 29 right before this 29 and 30 it says ah his disciples said now you're speaking plainly and not using any figurative language now we know that you know everything and don't need anyone to question you by this we believe that you've come from god so at the end of chapter 16, everything's come together. Now, not everything, but enough has come together in the mind. So they say, ah, now we get it. We know Jesus says, now they know that all things have come from you. The words that you have given me, I have given them. And have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, because they are yours. What do you do with, I'm not praying for the world? He's very specific on who he is praying for at this moment. Very, is he, in your opinion, is he deliberately excluding the world, or is he specifically pointing out the focus of his prayer? Yes, yes. If you're listening online, the consensus seems to be he's more targeting who he's praying for because, and we're going to see in just a minute, these people are going to be tasked with taking the word to the world. So it's not that Jesus doesn't love the world. <laughs> I think he's focusing this prayer on this. Now, we all know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Do we know John 3.19? Just a couple verses later. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their works are evil. So Jesus says, out of the world, I've got these, you have given me these people, I'm praying specifically for them to, but to go into that dark world <laughs> that hates the light because their deeds are evil. I'm specifically praying for them. Because I, th I think that's, that's the task that's going on. He's specifically excluding the world, but I think he's trying to give a little extra to these. Is that... All my things are yours and yours are mine and I've been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them. And not one of them is lost except the son of destruction. The King James, the son of perdition, right? That's just a great word there. Not one of them is lost except for Judas, right? So that Scripture may be fulfilled. I believe this is coming from Psalm 41, verse 9, where uh, even my friend who I trusted who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. That's a tie back to that. Now I'm coming to you. I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them.
I have given them your word, and the world hated them. John 3.19 Because they are not of this world as I am not of the world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. We know that expression be in the world, but not of the world. Is this kind of where this idea comes from? Yeah. They are not of the world as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them, so they also may be sanctified by the truth. I warned you 13 verses ago that we're going to ask you guys to summarize 6 through 19, right? Someone. Did y'all see the circular nature of these words going around? Did you see that? How would you encapsulate this middle section of this prayer? Say again? Be with you as you've been with me, right? Okay. I mean, I got stuck on verse 2. Right? Now give me here with this, <laughs> this type of thing. Um, I think there's something go- going on. He keeps mentioning the Father and the Son and the, the followers and the truth and the Word. And it just sort of keeps piling going over itself. I love those, the gifts, right? Just the... the the little animated things you can see on the computer that just go forever. There's one of a how the making chain. Have you seen that one? It's like a loop, and I just put that on just forever watching it. Right? Have you ever seen them making taffy? A taffy pull. They've got this this machine with two arms on it that has these two prongs, and it <laughs> kind of works through the taffy like this. Right? You've, this taffy is this candy stuff that kind of stretches big blocks on there and they throw it up on there and it's about to fall off with the fingers. They add coloring. We're going to make peppermint taffy. So our spearmint, wintergreen, they add this green color. And you see as these things stretch the taffy, the color and the flavor infuses everything. Because it's going round and round and round and in and out and through and between. And John 17, 6 19 is like a taffy pull with Jesus and the Father and the disciples and the truth and the Word all building around this idea of sanctification. Sanctification, that's a church word, isn't it? Rule of thumb, what does sanctification mean? Sanctify, what does it mean? To be set apart, that's right. To be set apart. In this case, set apart for holy things, set apart for sacred things, set apart for service to God. Right? There was a time when we had church clothes, right? Now we have school uniforms, and you don't wear your school uniform when you're playing in the mud, do you? Because the school uniform is set apart for something else. Um, taffy. Coming together, mixing everything all told. David, I, I always think in this section of scripture, it's like, in my Bible years ago, because it's faded now, but it, I put unity from the Word. But when you think in the Word being Jesus, being all mm-hmm. this from God, all the, and, and I love that analogy, it's happy, but you just think about that as it's being pulled constantly, it's becoming very unified. Yes. And, and it's 
each other. And so you have this pulling and pushing and mixing and, and joining of all those different variables together to the point where you've got this unification of that tacking. And I think that's what you kind of see in this scriptures here. I mean, when I've looked at John 17, this passage right here of what the church should be. And you think about kind of how we should be unified through this sanctification, this idea of being set apart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this, this, if you're listening online, the, the concept was as, as the mixing and the, these topics are all coming together, it's infusing us and unifying us and giving us a picture of what the church should be like. Is that, you know, yeah. should be looking alike, but we should be looking alike according to exactly what it says in the scripture, yeah. not just us looking alike in what we want to do. Okay, and, yeah. Um, and unfortunately, that, that message is, has been mixed over the, you know, centuries because people have done their own thing. Yeah. They've uh, broken with that unity of the scripture, unity with the, uh, the brotherhood, um, and started doing their own thing and it's morphed into other uh, traditions it's other uh, beliefs uh, and so we're no more uh, unified um, and I say we but the, 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 um, the blanket um, yeah. Yeah. the umbrella of the church of Christ yeah. uh, and, and the scripture itself mm -hmm. yeah the comment if you weren't able to hear it, we're looking at as we're going to look at these next few verses it's really driving us toward this, this notion of being unified right and what are we unified around you know, we all have our hot buttons that we like to, to, to wail on, but we really need to be unified around the Father, the Son, His Word. And we see fragments, not just among our own fellowship, but in Christendom as a whole. You know, every bucket of faith has fragmented along whatever lines we fragment on. And Jesus is about to pray that we don't do that, right? If, if we're relying, if we're making our divisions on what we believe, how can anybody know, right? Yeah. So let's look at this. This last, what, four, five, five, six verses where Jesus' prayer, He's prayed for His relationship with Him and the Father. He's prayed for these, these, these men gathered around Him. Is it the 12 minus 1? Is it the 120? I don't know, but I, I'm going to lean more towards the 12 okay but if you think this more that's not that's okay you know there's room for that here uh, i pray not only for these but also for those who believe in me through their message may they all be one as you father are in me and i am in you may they also be one in us so that we're just so that the world may believe that you sent me, right? 
Unity with each other, our unity with the Father and the Son, is the goal of that just unity with each other that we all get along? What's the goal of it? Say again? Yeah, so the world may believe. Right? Do we have to agree on everything? But can we still get along? Can we still have unity? Right? I worshipped one time at a church that was um, one of the millennials. All right, I don't know pre-millennial, post-millennial. I don't know which one. All right, they <laughs> they believed from an official corporate standpoint that there was going to be a thousand-year reign of Jesus. Or I don't. I don't but on their little bulletin at the bottom it says, as a church, our leadership believes this, but you don't have to believe that to worship with us. They took, they said, this is what we believe corporately, but when the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized, it was, here's some water, what keeps me from becoming a Christian? Oh, do you believe in the thousand year reign or do you not? I can't baptize you until we get that straight, right? Is there room for a little bit of variations in thought? Is I, I, I don't know where those lines are, but I thought that was a really nice way to handle I was out of town visiting this church. It's like, oh, I appreciate them having room for me because I don't know anything about these millennial things. I think there's a real tension in this verse Ooh. Is there's no higher bar. Holy, yeah. I would I would venture to say there is nothing they disagreed on. And so that creates sometimes this idea among God's people that um, you know we've got to agree on every time thing. And the, the, the real question should probably be, you know, is there some are there some things that the Father and the Son neither one care much about? <laughs> yeah. Because if they're unified on something, then we ought to be unified. So we have, that's our problem. We've created the problem where I've elevated something that I think is important mm-hmm. uh, over what God has, has claimed to be important. So if there's not some room for us to disagree and still be unified in that kind of high standard way, then we're all in trouble. Yeah, and I, I sometimes I prefer to think, not use the word disagree, but I may not understand the way you understand something today. And if that's something that's important, let's talk and let's learn, right? And then we can either come to an agreement or realize that this is more important to you than it is to me and good on you, you know? I've learned to be a little more laid back about some of the things, and I appreciate you bringing that up, because that standard of unity between the Father and the Son, if they're unified about something, we need to be on that wagon, right? I worshiped with the church when I was younger that was renting facilities, and we met on Sunday morning at a building on LSU's campus. We met Sunday evening at the Holiday Inn, and we met Thursday nights because the building we rented on Sunday morning was not available on Wednesdays. 
you want to talk about getting all kinds of hate mail from the Brotherhood because you're not supposed to meet on Thursday nights. You're supposed to meet on Wednesday nights, right? Is that one of those things where we might get a little ruffled about? You know? I don't know. Maybe one of y'all said, I don't know. So I'm not trying to step on toes here, but I think that might be an example of something along those lines. Right? Yes. Yes. So that puts us kind of in a different stat, you know, status of us trying to learn those things, trying to understand and comprehend, and while we've got to study and while we've got to digest what he's given us in his word, <laughs> yeah. I think it's always a constant pathway toward that. And if there is a derivation or going off the pathway, so to speak, that's where we, you know, we should have that caution you mm-hmm. know, going because we don't want to go off that path. And I think that's also why it's so important and I'm so glad for us to have Bible studies going again, to spend time together sharpening our iron, right? To spend time together in the Word and let's just you know, talk about things And because we add, as we add more time in the Word to our lives, I think we do, we'll naturally migrate more towards that high standard of, you know, of being together and being one and you know I've got I've got brothers that I can't worship with but I'm not going to say they're not brothers you know so it's like I love you but I'm going to be down the street Sunday morning you know and we can come together to feed the poor we can come together to visit the sick we can come together to support a mission endeavor but it's you know it's better for us to be worshiping the Lord a little bit apart on the road from each other. I don't know how this is. Yeah. Jesus said, I've given them the glory that you've given me. May they be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they be made completely one so the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you loved me. God so loved the world that he sent. <laughs> and what gets me is that You have sent me not just the unity between the Father and the Son, but the love of the Father and the Son. God loves you 
that much and he wants us to be unified and we have this word and the truth so that we can wow another place just to stop and spend a week or two just exploring this idea um, if we are beneficiaries of that kind of love that should affect how we interact with people Jesus said, as you've done it to the least of these my brothers, you've done it unto me. The way we treat the person we love the least is the way we show our love for God the most. John 13.34 basically says people will know we're Christians because we are to love one another. Do, do we demonstrate that the love that the Father has for Jesus is dwelling in us and not just dwelling in us but seeping out of us and permeating everything that we're doing? Father, I desire those you've given me to be with me where I am then they will see my glory which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. Again, just look into before the creation. Ephesians chapter 1 says, The Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ. So we can be partakers of the glory and the favor of the beloved Son. And Jesus concludes this high priestly prayer with these words Righteous Father, the world has not known you, however, I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will make it known so the love you be with may be in them, and I may be. In them. After struggling through this chapter and the circular language and the 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 high brow nature of it, Jesus boils it down nice and simple for me here at the end. I made you known. They will make you known. And your love will pass down through generations as we, you and I, continue to demonstrate the love and the unity of the Father and the Son in this world. My, my English Standard Version labels a section the High Priestly Prayer. And I think, John, when you sent it out to me, I think you called it the same thing. That's kind of a normal statement there. Maybe it's because, ooh, it draws similarities to Aaron in Leviticus chapter 16. Let me real quick wrap this up, all right? I've been to synagogue three times. Once on a Friday, twice on a Saturday. And each time the rabbi's lesson focused on the community, the nation, and the world. Jesus' prayer focuses on him and the Father, Him and disciples, and the world. Real quick, I want to wrap back up. Chapter 17, verse 2. Glorify your Son. <laughs> Elevate, exalt, lift up. 
John Wycliffe in 1380 published a handwritten translation of the Bible copied from the Latin. It's the first English translation we have. I want to share with you a picture I took from my copy of it. These things Jesus spake. And when he cast up his eyes into heaven, he said, Father, the hour cometh. Clarify. Clarify thy son. Clarify thy son that we may clarify thee. Let's close out in prayer. Almighty God, I pray for our unity with each other and with you. I pray that we may be people known for our propensity to love. I pray that we glorify Thee, or as Wycliffe said, clarify Your Son so that You will be made known in our community, in our nation, in our world. And I specifically pray for those that we have dedicated this hour of study to. So through Your Son. Amen.